Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Omar shares his winding path trying to find his way forward. Coming from family entrepreneurs, he didn't feel pressure to get a traditional job coming out of school and had experimented with side hustles throughout his time at the University of Toronto. Listen to hear about his networking hack when he was working in a dead-end asset management and equity research jobs, why he moved to Calgary and later to upstate New York with no job lined up, and what changed to allow him to start to build significant wealth in Texas. Enjoy. All right, Omar, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm looking forward to an interesting conversation. For sure. So if you could just start by giving the listeners a short summary of your bio, that'd be great. Sure. So look, uh, I, a lot of the things that we're going to talk about are predominantly going to come back to the fact that I grew up in an environment, my family's very entrepreneurial, like the fourth or fifth generation entrepreneur. So, and I grew up very comfortable. So, and I was lucky enough to be uh, internationally also. I'm from Pakistan, but my family is very global. We travel a lot. So I was always exposed to not only a lot of people, but a lot of people at very high places doing very interesting things, right? So framing that in mind, I graduated in 2008. I, to be honest with you, didn't, in, from the University of Toronto in Toronto, Canada. Um, I, initially, my plan wasn't necessarily to even stay in Canada after I graduated. Uh, for me, it was probably to go back to Pakistan or Dubai and kind of either work within my family's business, figure out my own business, basically figure myself out, get my shit together, and then start going to the next journey, whatever it is, right? But uh, what happened is I was dating a girl at that time, and in a fit of youthful exuberance, uh, this is right around the time when my parents were coming for my grad, a graduation ceremony, I decided, okay, you know what, I'm probably going to stay around in Canada. And 2008 wasn't necessarily the best time to be making those pivots. Uh, So basically what happens is I haven't interviewed with anybody because the plan was to never stick around. I had gone to all the recruiting parties, so, you know, and all that stuff, but I never interviewed. I'd never recruited, done any of that stuff. And at the last moment, now I'm deciding. And on top of that, we're kind of heading into a very dicey time uh, in the economy. But again, useful exuberance, it always helps, doesn't hurt, I think, or at least helped me. So what happened is, uh, you know, I go through the summers, kind of had a good time because my family was visiting Canada. So we kind of went around all that jazz. Then around September-ish, I was like, okay, let me kind of get serious with my life whatever that means. Uh, and okay, maybe I should look for a job and all that stuff. Uh, I ended up breaking up with the girl, funnily enough, in October. So that's my grand plan. Uh, a senior of mine, actually from college, he's a good friend of mine. Uh, he hooked me up with a job in the Royal Bank of Canada that was in portfolio management. That was a good exposure to me, basically, uh, on learning what I didn't want to do, basically. <laughs> So that was a good start. But all around this time, you have to realize at the side, even during school, I had a lot of side hustles going on, right? Side gigs, businesses, this and that, and we can get into it. And those were always more fascinating to me. Maybe it's because of my family, all of that sort of stuff. And they were actually pretty lucrative. So on a dollar basis, they were I was doing pretty okay, right? So I did that RBC thing for about a year, or whatever time. Then McKenzie Asset Management is a big Canadian asset manager. They've got about 100 billion, 200 billion. I don't know what they have now. So they, uh, I was talking to somebody over drinks because I kept networking around, right? And this wasn't networking with the intention of getting a job because I didn't really, wasn't really attuned that way at that time. This was networking that anytime, for instance, I'd read the newspaper and you know people used to publish newspapers back in the day and I'd hear about any entrepreneur doing something really interesting in the city of Toronto. I would find a way to reach out to them. And hey, you know, I heard you sold your landscaping company for $50 million. That's pretty cool. You want to tell me what you did? 
And weirdly enough, a lot of people, because, you know, people want to talk and they're nice, they would take calls and they would meet people for coffee. And this wasn't, I was trying to pitch myself. This was just out of sheer curiosity. So I'll go over to McKenzie. Again, this was, I just needed a job that paid me a good amount of money, but I didn't really have to work too much. So then I could do all my side gigs, I could party, do all that sort of stuff. So you're working about like 40 hours a week at this asset yeah, manager. Like, dude, it's okay. it's McKenzie, oh, not on. McKinsey, just for the no, listeners. It's not McKinsey. <laughs> yeah. no. It's hold a McKenzie, yeah. yeah. Number one, it's 45 to 50 hours of official work. I think I work like two hours a week. Right. Okay, let's just be very clear. So you, were, like, you were at McKinsey Asset Management, McKinsey Financial, but you were working like, let's be honest, like an hour a day max or whatever. At best, man. And so you what, were on the side. What were you doing? Like, what were these sides? Okay, let's so just dive right was, into it because, you know, sure, I think, sure. you know, you've, you've been an entrepreneur basically your whole, since, since graduating, it sounds like. Yeah, so, but it wasn't, you have to understand, it's really weird now that I talk to people and people say, well, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur because I had wanted to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, at least, it was never framed that way. Because in my mind, what was framed was, I have a couple of passions in life. One of the passions is obviously to meet people. I'm just a very curious type person. You know, anytime somebody does something cool, I don't really, I don't want any money from them. I just am interested in learning about what people do, right? Mm-hmm. Number one. Number two, I love reading books, right? And there's a pretty funny incident in equity research I'm going to tell you about. So I always wanted to have enough time, even when I was partying in school and all. I always like to take out times where, okay, I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to spend three or four hours just reading a book and do whatever. And this isn't a book on something specific, just random books, right? Even sleazy tabloids, they all count, right? So for me, the whole deal was quality of time and return on on my time. Like, hey, am I, like, do I have enough free time to do things that I want? And am I meeting interesting people? Those were the only two big things in my life at that moment and to a certain degree even right now. And can I lead the same quality of life that I was used to leaving growing up, right? So- that, and I uh, let's let's stop before we're going yeah. into all that like yeah it's, it sounds like a good philosophy but did you have that coming right out of undergrad I mean, it seems like it's a pretty wise philosophy to have coming so young at 22 were your parents similar like that did they did they were they kind of uh, in a family business was it like a multi-generation uh, you said so like it's always been like that in your family look um, yes and no because when my grandfather died this was a few years before i was born actually 10 15 years yeah. we had because there was no formal estate planning right? Yeah. He died young. He's like 55 or something. Oh, okay. Eventually what happened is my dad's side of the family, all the, all the sons and the daughter were young when he died. I mean, youngish, right? Yeah. But later on, for instance, when they grew up and, you know, when they have kids, we had a lot of estate planning and inheritance issues, siblings fighting with each other, all of that stuff. Oh, okay. But from a family perspective, what I had seen was that for us, we, in a way, we had kind of taken the next step, but not really in certain areas in the sense that the business had become more of a way for us, to, our family to have assets that were then providing for the lifestyle of the various family members. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't necessarily, hey, here's a business. Do you mind sharing like what, what level of assets are we talking about here? Is this like, you know, 50 million or is it like- No, we're talking about, look, I think we're million. talking about 50 to 75, maybe $80 million. Yeah. Like, I mean, we're and not, that's across how many people are, that's each person? That's maybe like four people. Okay. Well, it's still right. a lot of money. No, but you also have to realize the cost <laughs> yeah. of living in Pakistan is much cheaper than the cost of living in the U.S. Right, right. And so right? what, what so, type, can you share what type of business that you're Oh, yeah, I can tell you initially. So initially, uh, before my grandfather, mm-hmm. this is all uh, land ownership, right? Okay. And that's how you derive a good portion of your money. Mm-hmm. But then in his particular case, he went into commercial real estate. He had uh, basically, this is electronics wholesale and all of that. This is, you got to realize, this is when... Color TVs were the new thing. Yeah, you, know, yeah, you had a color TV and you were like the big dog, right? Not just in, by the way, in Pakistan, by the way, even in the US, because what was funny was when I moved to Canada, mm-hmm. I realized when, you know, when, when I'm meeting people from so many different backgrounds, that, oh shit, I had video games and tech that people living in Canada and the US didn't have the same right. year, yeah, yeah, right? So I was like, so I was kind of blessed that way. It wasn't necessarily because of me or anything I did. I was very impressed. Yeah, yeah, of course. You come, you come from a family. So but tell me a little bit about like coming from that. Is there oftentimes you see like you hear the you hear the story of like multi-generation entrepreneurs and businesses fail because the kids get spoiled, rotten, and then they're and then they oh, just that was know. not the case in our side because what happened is my grandfather died early. All the brothers after a little while started fighting with each other. So there was no time for kids to get spoiled. I wish I was spoiled. Yeah. 
So there's no spoiling. Um, tell me, why was the fighting? Why did the fighting prevent inheritance? Like, there was, there was, but there was still a lot of money to go around. Even. Yeah, but look, uh, this is what I've actually. I've now that I'm in this business, commercial real estate, I'm actually seeing this a lot more, and it's very funny when I see it with other people in other cultures. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh yeah, this is exactly what was what's probably going to happen, right? Yeah. Uh, look, man, what happens is. Um, Obviously, I'm the next generation, so I'm obviously not privy to all the conversation, right? right? Uh, I think what happens is that people have misunderstandings. One person might uh, think that they have the dominant hand, so they might want to move harder on that, right? Different people are at different stages in life, right? So I'm sure, you know, it takes two to tangle, right? I'm sure there's no one person at fault. Yeah. But, you know, when these things start unraveling, they start unraveling pretty quickly, right? There's no, there's no middle ground. There is no stages. Because one person might want more, he does this, then everybody else feels aggrieved, then everybody starts, it becomes a free-for-all after a little while, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's that sort of thing. I mean, now I joke with my father, now that they're in their old age, now they all want to be close together. And I'm like, dude, like, what the fuck? <laughs> they like hated each other for 15 years and now they yeah, all- I was like, bro, you can't do this for like 25 years and then just be like, all right, let's, let's kind of, you know, before we die, let's just hang out. <laughs> <laughs> so look, so I don't know whether it was a philosophy or life or anything, because yeah. the other thing was that, look, I had seen a lot of my friends, uh, older than me, obviously, yeah. and a lot of people I knew who were in investment banking and doing very well for themselves, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, in consulting like the McKinsey's and BCG's and all of that stuff. And to be very honest with you, at that stage in life where you have to do those things, you, you know, you get recruited out of school and all, mm-hmm. honestly, man, I... I I didn't have my shit together. B, I did not want to have my shit together. Yeah. And C, I did not even feel that they, it was the right fit for me at that moment in time, especially from a quality of time point of view. Because look, a lot of people that I kept talking to, a lot of my mentors socially and otherwise also, they would always keep telling me, look, your youth is never going to come back to you. I mean, you read a lot of books and all the philosophers keep saying the same damn thing yeah. over and over again. You know, youth is wasted on the young, right? Something like that. Mm-hmm. And there was, while there wasn't any grand plan, I very quickly realized that, look, for me to compete with somebody, say, who was being recruited into a bulge bracket bank, a top tier A bulge bracket bank, mm-hmm. that requires a level of commitment, that requires a level of hard work, and that requires a level of sacrifice that at that stage in life, for sure, I was not going to do. But you said you were doing all these side hustles. Were you not working hard hey, on those? Or were they no, just no, quick, no, I were was they just working quick, hard. Were they just quick wins? No, like no, no. Th- win? Those side hustles were interesting because I was actually interested in the process. But tell me, okay, so tell me your most successful so, side Okay, I'll, get, I'll tell you this. So, yeah. so you know when the new iPhones, the, the first iPhone came out, mm-hmm. right? So when the first, at least in Canada, this is what happened. They locked it with a carrier. So if you, if you get into Rogers, Rogers is a big one in Canada, right? Yeah, yeah. So if Rogers is the one selling you the phone, you have to get Rogers. Like, there's just no other way. And, and then obviously what Rogers would do is they would hose you on the plan, yeah. right? And they'd do this and they'd do that because they can get away with it. So a really good buddy of mine, he dropped out in like the second year of I think computer science from the University of Toronto. He would, I don't know how the hell this guy figured this out, but he could, he could unlock the phone in less than an hour. So he would, and he had like, a, I'm not even joking with you. He had like a farm of these computers in his like whatever apartment. And he had like six of them on a computer, they had like 10 of these, and he was just unlocking them. And he was unlocking them for like 500 bucks in 45 minutes. And I was like, you've got to be shitting me, right? And what he'd also do is, so he had this going on. Then what he'd done is he's, he'd quit school on the second year, and he had basically networked his way into these small and medium-sized companies to act as an IT consultant, whatever, CTO, whatever the hell he called himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was basically another way for him to basically make two or $300,000 a year and to travel on some company's dime. Because look, you got to realize most small businesses aren't Google. So yeah. most entrepreneurs are 60. They think the computer might as well be like a thing with three heads speaking in Greek, yeah. right? So he would do whatever the hell he would do. And those guys would think, oh my God, this guy's a freaking genius. Yeah. Why? And he was flying, being flown out to like Barbados, Bahamas, I was like, man, I'm in the wrong freaking business, man. What the hell am I doing with my so life? Are you, yeah, why didn't I take computer science? Is that your... your no, no, I was still... No, 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 not that. That was really hard for me to do. I was not going to even pass the first year. I was thinking, why don't I have that lifestyle? So he's a really good friend of mine. So him and I started basically, and it was really him and I was just his person because I, I, he was never around Toronto. Mm-hmm. So anytime, you know, he's buying an asset, he's selling a business or something like that because him and I knew each other for a long time. Yep. He's like, hey, man, why don't I just give you the power of attorney? And these are like, I mean, a couple of hundred thousand dollars at a time, right? So you have to be with somebody you can trust. 
yeah, right? Yeah. And why don't you do this for me? And I was like in third or fourth year of college, or maybe I graduated, I'm forgetting. I was like, sure, why not? And he's like, also, you're going to meet some really interesting people. So look, to give you an idea, there was a conference in Toronto at that time, just to give you an idea of how these things, these things used to get created on USBs. You know, now we have Facebook where you get like customer profiles and all of that. So if you're a marketer, you can get all of that. Well, you know what? Back in the day, you would have USBs and hard drives created for marketing companies. So what they would do is they would run, say, ads or whatever it is, physical mail, say, in a region like Toronto or Ottawa or GTA. They'd compile all of that information, and then they would sell it to digital marketers who, say, were, say, some random guy. Because all these resources weren't available. And you'd be selling hard drives for, like, $20,000. Right. Right. Because it has has a, a list of, say, you know, Anywhere from a thousand to twenty thousand. No, 50, it was like contacts. twenty, fifty, eighty thousand, hundred thousand contacts. contacts. Not just but, contacts. But data on data the, related to these contacts. Who purchased and who yeah, did it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you understand? Now again, this is something that I had no exposure to, yeah. obviously, because and he did, and was like, well, let's start doing that. And the other gig was that one of my college profs. I was Can you share how much you guys made in like that one side hustle? Oh, dude, I didn't. I probably make like I don't know two or three hundred. 200 grand, maybe I blew all it all on stupid things. He, he made a lot of money. I don't even know how much money. He well, made. So was he like the majority owner of that business and you were just helping him? I wasn't the owner. I was just there for the ride, man. He was, I wasn't even a salary person. He I just, was just a guy he trusted. Yeah. And he's a good, he's still a good friend of mine. Yeah. Right. And he's like, dude, here you go. I mean, you helped me out. Here you go. Okay, like, and oh, so... that's pretty cool. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about what you uh, blew the money on. That's a lot of money oh, for a no stupid stuff. Uh, going to Montreal a lot, going to parties a lot, uh, buying a lot of books, weirdly. I read all of them and then I donated them. Uh, it's just stupid things like, you know, going out to really nice restaurants, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. Now, obviously, okay. I saved some of it, but I think I blew it all on stupid investments also, like penny stocks and whatever, <laughs> biotechnology. <laughs> okay. I had no idea. I mean, I was okay. dumb Yeah, as yeah a you're rock. young. Okay. So- I was dumb as a rock, right? Yeah, so you're young. The other gig was, and this was a really good gig till one guy burnt me and I learned a really good lesson. The other gig basically was that one of my profs, he was, I was playing tennis with him once. He's a, my marketing prof. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking. We were just hanging out. And he said, you know what? There's a lot of guys in business school, Rotman school, that they're post-grad students. They need a lot of data. And basically, you need to get this data from the library because it's on microfiches and mm-hmm. it's all old data. So well, now you photocopy that data then you input it into Excel because, you know, whatever. Then you give it to these guys and then they do whatever fancy stuff they do on top of it, right? Right. And so he's like, man, it's really killing a lot of my students because now they're doing their PhDs or whatever and now they got to go do this stupid thing, right? It's not really value-add if you think about it, right? Right. And I was like, oh, that's pretty neat. So uh, how much do they do they get paid for this? They're like, yeah, we give them like a 10, whatever, $10,000, $12,000 grant per whatever, six months or what, I don't know, some four or six months time. So yeah. I did the math. I was like, okay, this guy goes to the library for three or four hours a day, which is kind of dumb. He shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. And he's got 10 or 12 grand. Then he's billing out to himself at like something like 15 bucks an hour. Right. Right. Well, how about I bill him at 14 bucks an hour and I can get a whole bunch of people that live in my res, at least the girls that I knew and the guys that I knew. And I could be, make them have them do this for like nine bucks an hour. Right. right? What do you think about that? And he's like, yeah, if, but you have to be reliable. And, he, and you know, I was, so I did that for like a few years, but this one guy, once I made a big mistake, this one guy, I'm not going to say his name. I hate this guy. He basically took a lot of work. He was doing all right. And then he completely did not drop the ball on these two big projects. And that's why our business kind of went sideways for a little while. Yeah. So I learned a big lesson in life that way, but yeah, that was pretty sweet because for doing no work at all, I was making five, 10 bucks an hour. Yeah. And uh, oh my God, I felt like I was on top of the world. Because the, the biggest thing was I was not doing any work. Yeah. <laughs> it was forwarding an email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which Got is it. like the greatest productivity hack on the planet. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people who kind of um, outsource their own work. That's, a, that's definitely a, a trend that's been picking yeah, up. Yeah, but you right? realize this was also at a very localized level. So this yeah, wasn't yeah. like someone. You were still, yeah, it wasn't like massive. We, and this was also like 2005, 2006. You understand? There's no yeah. Upworks here. None of that shit is happening, you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So basically, yeah. okay, so I'm kind of doing these kind of things, but not really going anywhere in life, right? But kind of whatever, learning and meeting people. And one day my dad isn't much to give advice. You know, he's a pretty chill guy. And 
I was just saying, you know, I think I need to get my shit together, get a real job and get all those experiences, you know, professional, professional experiences. And I, I'm applying for some jobs. And my dad told me this a few times also. And it never stuck in my head because I'm like, you're old. Doesn't really make sense. I don't know. You don't even know anything. Right. And he said, look, man, all the jobs that are really good or the ones you want to do, which will actually give you meaningful experiences, at least in the finance business sort of little, either they're not advertised or you're not going to get them because you don't know anyone. So you better start figuring out who to know and how to get into like, you know, an unadvertised job because, yep. and to be honest with you, man, look, if I'd gone back to Pakistan or Dubai, that's the kind of job I would be getting anyways. Cause it's not like people were going to hire me purely based on my intellect. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I, they would not hire me. That's a yeah. story. Right. So, so I was like, okay, you don't know anything, but at least it stuck with me. And at that time, uh, one of my ex bosses, I, he had, he moved to Calgary. Calgary was in the middle of an oil boom. Yep. And he'd come to Toronto over some, whatever, like Thanksgiving or something. And I met him for a drink and he's like, man, Calgary's really booming. It's a really entrepreneurial place. You would be great there. It's all oil and gas, but still whatever. Yeah. Right. Cause I was saying, you know, I think I need to get my shit together. Right. So basically I decided, I think this was October. I decided, all right, screw it. January. I'm just going to move to Calgary. I'm going to pack my bags, move to Calgary. I got nothing to lose. Right. Yep. So I you're leaving my, this asset management place where you were, yeah. you weren't really working anyways. Yeah, you're doing, really you doing side hustles. And yeah. dur- during that th- two years, were you just partying mostly in Toronto? No, or... I was meeting a lot of people. I was partying. You were meeting. You were I partying was partying a lot. But I was also meeting a lot of very interesting people. You know what's really funny? What? I met so many interesting guys when I was partying because a lot of these guys happened to be other entrepreneurs mm-hmm. or traders or in some capacity they were doing this. Because look, to be honest, these are the only guys who can afford going out to partying on a Tuesday night. Right. People with real jobs and responsibilities do not go partying on a Tuesday night. Fair. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't happen that way. Right? You're, you're in Calgary. So, okay, so you're no, no, in, I was in Toronto at that you're in time. Toronto, so. Yeah, but you met, you met all these interesting people, but yeah. so this is kind of how you found the idea of going to Calgary too. No, well, in a way, because my boss yeah. had gone to Calgary. He's okay. back and he introduced me to a couple of his friends. And, they were all older guys and they were like, look, you're young. This is the only time where you can afford like turning on a dime and doing these things. Right. And I kind of took it to heart. And frankly, I think the best thing that I ever did was never buy a house. Right. So there was nothing like holding me back as such. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, so I was like, all right, screw it. So I went to Calgary January 9th or 10th, 2012. I landed in the middle of a freaking blizzard. Yeah. Right. And uh, what I'd done before that is that I, and can, by the way, during this time, I had given like my first two CFA uh, level exams or whatever it was, right? Yeah. And the reason, again, stupid reason to do the CFA was because a couple of the people that I knew in my school or my graduating class that I knew were doing the CFA and then they actually had real careers, right? Yeah. <laughs> they were doing it for a career reason. And I met them one day and they were studying for it. And I was like, well, this seems like a respectable thing to do. So guess I should study for the CFA. That's how I signed up for the CFA. So I kind of done that, the two levels, or I think one level. I moved to Calgary, but before that, what I did, the smart thing that I did, because now my dad's advice was ringing in my ear. So what I did is I made a list of all the people in Calgary, in the Calgary CFA Society. Like it was like three or 400 people, which was not a lot. I literally put it down on a spreadsheet, got all of their information, emails, whatever, from the internet or from the CFA member directory. Mm -hmm. And I literally like went crazy, like emailing, following up with like 300 people. So within one month of landing in Calgary, I had something like a hundred informational interviews done. And what was really funny was by like the 50th one, A, I had a really raging bad coffee habit because I'd never had a coffee habit before. And everybody's nice because they want to offer you coffee, right? So that... And number two, what was weirdly happened was because Calgary is kind of a big, small city. Yeah. By like my 30th or 40th meeting, I was like up on all the gossip of what was going on in corporate Calgary. So I would meet some guys, say, from Nexon or in Canna or in Imperial Oil, and they would say something and I'd have a pretty intelligent sort of, oh, yeah, you know, well, Nexon's kind of doing that. Like, what do you guys think about that? I mean, I have no idea what the hell that means, right? I just overheard them in the conversation. Yeah, you had, you had already done 30 or 40 inter- informational interviews. You knew everything about the small, the big, small. Yeah. Study, yeah, right? yeah. So yeah. people, people started not now a few people start thinking, Holy shit. How does this guy know this stuff? And I mean, I wasn't going to tell him like, dude, I have no freaking idea. 
Like, I don't yeah. even know what this means. It's a hole in the crown. I don't know. So you're, right. but you're there, but tell me about the job you took to go oh. there that you didn't have a job, but you'd landed. No, no, no. Screw that. I didn't have a job, man. What was I? You just went to Calgary. I, Cause you said, Hey, why not? Yeah. Because the other deal was look in the U S uh, Americans, I don't think realized how blessed Americans are that there are enough cities. Number one in the U S with enough shit going on mm-hmm. that you don't have like two options, right? It's either this or that and bam, you're done. Right. Most countries you have got one or two options. That's it. Yeah. Right. In terms of cities and jobs in the U S there are so many cities mm-hmm. where you can go do so many different things that I U S people don't really realize this, but in Canada, corporate Canada was really Toronto, Calgary, because Calgary was booming at the time, Vancouver. I didn't really want to go because it was a bit too relaxed for me. Right. Yeah. And Montreal is all, French. So I was going to speak French. I was going to learn French. I'm yeah, not opposed yeah. to it. I'm just not going to learn it in three months. Right. 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 So really it was Calgary. Yeah. Right. So okay. it's Toronto or Calgary. That's Why it. You say Vancouver's relaxed. What do you mean by that? Number one, not a lot of industry happens in Vancouver. Like the core kind of like big swinging corporate industries were happening at that time in Vancouver. It got was it. very tepid and relaxed. Yeah. And Vancouver's now kind of got a little groovy thing going on, mm-hmm. but dude, a lot of like, yeah, it just wasn't happening. Okay. Okay. So you're you're going to Calgary. You said I'm going to Calgary. So you, yeah, you so I pick up my bags. Going to Calgary. Your your goal here in these informational interviews, you're like, I just want to eventually get a job. Yes, but the other goal also was that I I told myself, look, I've done the hard yards. I've actually moved from Toronto, mm-hmm. so now I don't just want to get a job. I want I want to figure out what I want to do by talking to enough intelligent people. Mm-hmm. So I don't just l- lurch from one job to another job to another job with no freaking game plan. Right. So at what, I, at what point, at how many informational interviews did you have to do before you kind of had a sense of what you wanted? Oh, so what, uh, oh, that was pretty good. That was like five. Because I, I eventually, uh, eventually most of the people I was talking to happened to be so pissed off and they all happened to work in investment banking. <laughs> investment banking or trading. They all seem to be so pissed off with their lives. They're making a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it just, just seemed to be so pissed off. They're angry. Right. Well, like in what sense? Not angry, just... but you know, like tired all the time. They were very engaging and smart people. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, very yeah. engaging and smart people. But bitter, a little bit bitter. A little bit jaded, a little bit bitter. And this yeah. was during also, you got to realize, this is when oil is like $110 a barrel, dude. Things should be good. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, they're all partying. They're all drinking. They're supposedly from the outside. They're, it looks like it's a pretty good gig, right? Yeah. But when you start talking to them, especially the second, third, because I would follow up like a maniac with all the people that I liked, right? Yeah. It turned out that they, there was just no time left for them to do whatever the hell they wanted to do in their lives. Right. Okay, right? so you so, said no to IB, you said no to... No, 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 I didn't say no. Hold on, it gets even better. So one of the Canadian bulge bracket banks, what happened is I was interviewing with an informational interview with a guy in right. Bankers Hall in Calgary, and they had an office above... And within five minutes, he's like, hey, dude, why don't you just come up, talk to my manager, right? And I was like, okay, is this an interview? He's like, no, 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 it's not an interview. And it was an interview. Uh, so I go up, I talk to the guy, he, whatever, 15, 20, 30 minutes, he, whatever, he says, all right, we'll talk to you, but I'll go back. Okay, so I go back home. Right around that time, uh, Synovus is a big oil and gas producer. They had a very interesting role. That was corporate planning, M&A, a lot of things rolled into one because the guy who was my boss had a big swing, big say at that time. So he could get a lot of interesting mandates under one rule, mm. right? Really wanted that. So what happened is I interviewed for that role. Somebody else I had actually inf- informational interviewed with, she liked me enough that she called up Leo, my boss, and said, look, I don't give a shit. You've got to hire this guy. Because that woman and Leo, my boss, knew each other from yeah. back in the day. Like, lot. Yeah. like, I don't give a shit. You have to hire this guy, right? And God bless her for saying that. Uh, and why? She helped. Why, did she, why did she like you so much? See, I don't know. Were you dating and, her on the side? Be honest. No, I wish, man. <laughs> I wish. But I, I could tell you, that I, I don't know. And you know what? I didn't even know for the first two years because what happened once is two and a half years later after I got hired, we were walking in the lobby of their new building and I was, we were going to the Starbucks and Krista, who happened to be Leo's whatever yeah. ex-colleague, she was walking by and I said, hello. And Leo also said, hello. And she said, hey, and you know, she goes her way and we go our way and Leo said, you know what's funny? We should go say thank you to her more. She's the one who got you hired. This was two and a half years later, okay? She never yeah, told yeah. me about it. Nothing of the sort ever happened. I still don't know. Oh, okay? But I'm very grateful for it, right? Interesting. So what's funny is this ball bracket bank gives me a call a week later. Mm-hmm. And the managing director says, look, I know you're interviewing at Tenovus. And I never told this guy anything about this. Yeah, thing. yeah. 
oh, this is kind of creepy, dude. Like, what's going on? Right? <laughs> so, yeah, uh, whatever. And he's like, well, I would have given you a role, but I think after talking to you and talking to Leo, I think that role is better for you at Snow. And I was like, oh, okay, this is a polite way of telling me to F off, right? I was like, okay, you know, I'm really appreciative, blah, 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 whatever. And yeah. it's the slowest role I liked anyways. Yeah. And it turns out the day I joined two days later, I see that guy from the Buzz Bracket Bank as one of my boss's uh, colleagues because he had come over to Sinovus. Uh. <laughs> so <laughs> it, was, it was just super weird. Sinovus, I was very lucky that I was in a very small group, but that my boss had a big say, right? Okay, but tell me, Sinovus, is, is it a boutique bank? Is it sell side? No, or you guys... no it's buy side. It's complete firm. Right? Uh, okay. It's an oil yeah, and gas yeah, producer, oil, okay. refiner, okay. upstream and downstream, basically. So buy side oil and gas, um, yeah. all the way up, up, up and downstream. Up, up and downstream. They up just don't down. do the middle stream. They don't do pipelines, but up and downstream. They explore okay. and produce and refine, right? Got it. Okay. okay. So at that so, time, yep. $110, $130 oil, every person in Calgary thinks their shit doesn't stink and they walk on water. <laughs> but look, for real, like, I'm not joking with you. You laugh. I have actually gone out randomly walking during Stampede, which is a big like event in summers. Uh-huh. And I've had complete random strangers. And when oil was $130, be like, on the road, like if it's a bar's opening up on a patio, they're having whatever drinks. And they're like, hey man, and you go like, hey man, because everybody's kind of tipsy. Yeah. They, they just thought you two around the drink. I'm not even joking with you. This is literally what's happened to like- Most of people are really happy and partying in Calgary for Because this oil is $130 a barrel, yeah. man. You just, yeah. all you have to do is show up. Yeah, you don't even have to use your brain. And in fact, <laughs> if you use your brain, you might screw it up, right? <laughs> so, Fair. so I'm here. So Leo has a big say. Now, Leo's downfall was that Leo didn't have, Leo wasn't very political. So he was like, he's like one of the best, sharpest people I know. He just wasn't political. So that kind of put him aside. But Leo had a big say. So now what's happening is I get into M&A stuff that Sonovus is doing. I get into basically corporate planning stuff with the, at the CFO level, with the CFO, yeah. right? CFO picks up a call. Hey, man, what's going on? Tell me this, right? So it's long range plan, short range plan. When we were doing debt and equity issuances, this was right around the time when oil prices started going down. The CFO, I'm not even joking, when you picks up a phone call, calls Leo, Leo's doing some work. Leo literally says, hey, Ira, why don't you just go talk to Omar? And I'm not joking with you. The CFO of like a pretty big freaking major company yeah, is coming to was, my office. How big was this company? You know, I think it was like $20, $30 billion. Yeah. So he's That's, talking to you, like, and you have, yeah, I'm like, and he's like, like almost well, no background in, no, like, no, no. and he's talking to me, and this is like two years me into my job. He's like, okay, no, what do you think? You know, we 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 issue like a billion dollars in equity, and I'm like, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, yeah, yeah, uh huh, and he's like, well, well, what do you think? I'm like, dude, like, what the fuck do you mean, man? What do I think? I don't, I'm not get, I'm not getting paid to think. I'm getting paid to do, <laughs> right? But what did you say in those conversations? No, but the thing was, look, I mean, I said what I had to say because, look, I had built the budget with like two core group of people. Leo Kent, Kent was my senior, very influential person in my life and myself. So I knew the company's operations cold, like in yeah. the back of my head. Okay, where asset, which asset we have to let go, which asset we're not letting go because of political issues and blah, 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 blah. Right. So I was like, look, I think we should do this. We should do this. But I'm going to be honest with you. It's not my role to comment on these things. This is just my opinion. And so, you know, you go figure it out. And I'm sure it wasn't like he was listening to me, just being a polite person. Just, well, he wanted to hear a different opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah different. Awesome. He is being a polite person. So that gives me a lot of really good experiences, right? Now while I'm here, I think, okay, Sinovus, by the way, is a great company, but it's it's an ex-Crown Corporation. It's Crown Corp. It's a Canadian thing. It's Crown Corporation is okay. the, the Crown of the UK handled it and now eventually became a private company. Right. It's still a very, it's very political, right? Yeah, yeah. Things are very political and you have a lot of that kind of shit. So anyways, great pay, great experience. I learned so much and because I learned how to basically figure out something from the ground up from a white piece of paper, right? That sort of stuff, right? So and equity re- and did a lot of yeah, that transition must have been tough. I mean, you never had any oil and gas experience. No, you know, you'd be very surprised, man. If yeah, you're tough. like quick on your feet, I mean, yeah, you have to learn a lot pretty quickly. Those first few and, months were you just like, how are you like getting up to speed on the modeling and the financial? I mean, I guess well, you, were the, account, you were an accounting and finance majors that helped a little bit. Yeah, see, but the modeling thing was, so I think I kind of overlooked this. The modeling thing was because I was so curious and obviously my modeling skills improved a lot. Like I'm talking night and day difference, but the fundamental building blocks of modeling, like how do you do the accounting, all the three financial statements. Mm-hmm. I think what had happened is that because I was so curious about all these people that I told you in Toronto, anybody sells a landscaping business or whatever, right. right? So what I would do just out of sheer curiosity is that I would just 
kind of whatever, get like some, whatever, like the three paragraphs in a newspaper. And I just kind of build my, okay, well, what do I think this guy would have done? And I kind of build out a little one sheet, whatever, like little, really elementary sort of model. When I look at it now, I'd be like, this is stupid. No, no, right? but you were doing, you were already playing around in Excel thinking about stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just thinking, well, you know, what if I push this lever? What would I do if I was in this guy's position one day? What just daydreaming, right? You're, just, hey, what you're, you're interested in business already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah numbers and understanding financials. So you it wasn't like a big leap for you to suddenly be, you know, thinking about oil and gas business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to be honest with you, at the level, I wasn't going to be the one guy who's gonna go drill a hole in the ground, right? So I just have to take basically economic data source, like what's the net back, what's the pricing, what are what is our transportation cost, what's our net back, how much volume are we expected to? It's all volume and price, man, at the end of yeah. the day, no matter what industry you're in. It's volume yeah. and price and then mix, basically, mm -hmm. right? Of sorts. Those are the three building components. And expenses are all, I don't care what company you're in, figuring out expenses isn't that hard. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. It's revenue is really tough, right? Yeah. So obviously, I had to learn a lot. I had great mentors. So that kind of helped me. I had, now on resume, I had a good enough resume of sorts. And then another false record bag, they had some sort of equity research opportunity open up. And I, I knew their headquarters was in Toronto because all the big five Canadian banks headquarters in Toronto. Yep. So I called up some of my friends there. And one of my really good friends, she knew the head of HR for that firm, for that bulge break. And so she, she had, I had met him on some inform, women's in information, women in finance event or something like that, right? Yep. yep. So she introduced me to the guy. I don't know what the hell he saw in me. Cause he's like, all right, we're, you're late by a week, but you sound kind of nice on the phone. Why don't I just send your resume in? I was like, okay, that's kind of nice. You don't want to know about me? It's like, no, 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 you seem kind of good. I was like, okay, whatever, I'm done. I have to just shut up, the sales made, right? So yeah. they got me in for an interview. I think the first, the person they liked most must have said no to them because they extended me an offer. I don't know why the hell they did that. Uh, well, and Tell me why you'd go from like a buy side, kind of interesting role, oil and gas, yeah. Calgary to equity research position. Number one, that was the dumbest mistake of my life. Number one, the stupidest freaking thing I've ever done in my entire life. Was, I looked at it and I said, that's interesting. That's different. You know, hold on. Um, that, that was, hold on. That was dumb from a personality fit point of view, from a professional point of view, skills. And I'm not talking, hey, are you the greatest equity? And no, I'm talking from a modeling, from a dissecting the business skills point of view that, about a year or eight months stint was very good. But from a personal fit point of view, it was like the dumbest freaking thing I've ever Why? done. Why? Because it was too... Okay, I think the reason was, A, number one, I was bored. Number yeah. two, for some weird reason, I was thinking, okay, I just need to have some bank nicer... Old bracket. Yeah, bigger yeah, name. Some name on my resume. I don't know what that was going to do. I had no idea. I just, well, I thought, okay, cool people do this. Maybe I should go do this. Dumbest freaking decision of my life. Also, the problem was, that particular office was a smaller office amongst many big offices. So it didn't have any political sway. I only found this out later. B, it had so much turnover. I mean, people were going, 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 that's going, why just, going. That's why they just kept, they just gave you the offer right away. Yeah, I think probably they gave me the yeah. offer. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because again, I'm very upfront with you. It was not 100%. It was not because of my supreme intellect, right? So well, but it just seems, it was, it's Calgary. It was still Calgary. Yeah. It still has tiny office. So they're probably having trouble to, getting good people there you see no you'd be very surprised they oh, really? would have seen because oil and gas is a specialized body of work sorts right but were so, you doing equity research in oil and gas out there yeah 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 yeah. but yeah, maybe yeah. people maybe the people that wanted to be out there in oil and gas wanted to be on the buy side like where you maybe were. maybe no maybe you're 100 right i think the other issue also was from a personality point of view yeah i am a big believer of sorts in the efficient market theory right mm -hmm. so for me because i was i was an associate with an analyst who was covering like uh, the super majors like Exxon's, Imperials, Shells, all of that sort of stuff. Yep. I'm like, man, there is no freaking way we are ever going to find something here. Like, well, what am I going to do that the other 5 million people in the world are not going to find, right? So all it basically became was being a monkey and just inputting everything as soon as like the 10Ks or Qs are released. And I'm like, okay, well, this is kind of dumb. Like, this is yeah. kind of stupid. It's nothing interesting. So like well, I said- Can you tell uh, me about the pay? Was it a pay increase, a pay cut? Like, uh, I, I think the pay, it was, wasn't much of a difference in pay. To be so honest with you, the difference you in work. And so can you just, let's, let's talk about pay. Cause yeah, I, I think I was making like around 140, 150, maybe 160 at Snowis, right? Uh -huh. I don't know, somewhere in that range. Yeah. You gotta realize uh, I was doing very interesting work. So I would have worked for half the money there. Yeah. 
Yeah. It was very engaging and interesting because no two days were alike. Was it mostly time. just bass or just a little bit of bonus? Oh, no, it was, uh, it was, most of it was bass and I think 20% bonus. Like, like 120, 120,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, some yeah. in that range. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's pretty good for just. No, everybody. and the bonus part sucks because in Canada, I think if you're above, I don't know, 75,000 or something, your bonus gets taxed at 50%. So yeah, you get a bonus, but you don't really get anything. Okay. So they right, so, so that means like a lot of the banks they just pay super high base instead so they don't get they, yeah yeah I guess so I mean but also I think American banks pay a lot more than Canadian banks I think okay I think. so you're you're in this equity research world it's 2015 you don't yeah. you you're there for less than a year tell me what as you realize quickly that you're just inputting oh dude within like the first work. three days I realized but I was a stubborn sob right so yeah. I was like okay. I'm going to hang out for the one year mark. Number one, it doesn't look good to just kind of swing for the fences like within a week. Number two, uh, I should stick around. I think the other big impetuous was that I was getting married at the time with mm. my wife uh, and she was a physician in the US and we had talked, to, I had talked to somebody really senior in Alberta healthcare on a public policy basis to see, well, what would happen if she came to the Canada from the US? And initially he's like, well, yeah, she's right about done with the residency. She might have to give some exam and she can come in. And I was like, okay, well, you know, whatever. So she's coming in, we want some level of stability income wise, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. But then right around the time, about a month after I go to this Welsh Bracket Bank equity research, they had some sort of change in policy or maybe not, and maybe I was just misled. So what they told me, the guy told me, look, she'd have to do all her residency again. And yeah. Canada, the residency is in three, it's four years. So number one, she was right about done with her third year and now she's got to do four more years. Plus the pay is less. Yeah. And that's if you're lucky, if you get it. Yeah. Right. I was like, okay, screw that. I'm not going to subject her to that level of torture. Yeah, right? yeah. This is bullshit. And plus I'm moving to like freaking the U potentially to the US. I'm not moving to Zimbabwe. Right. <laughs> Oh, I mean, it can't be that bad, right? <laughs> so what's the, so yes, yeah, so as you start line of looking, so you, you were married in that year that you were- Yeah, yeah I got married in the year. And then look, the other deal was the guy, and maybe this was a personality issue. My boss was, a, and he had this problem, at least other people have also told me this. He had no social graces whatsoever. Yeah. His lack of manners were legendary, right? So, and uh, yeah, so I don't want to go there. So that's, I, why, I the, just, that's why the turnover was so high there. But yeah, uh, but so I eventually told the guys like, look, man, I don't think this is a good personality. He's like, well, don't you want to stick around too much? You get your bonus. I was like, dude, I think you need the money more than I do. Why don't you keep it? You know, I'm just, I'm just I'm here giving you my resignation. I just oh, so want you, to thank you so for you the opportunity. A, and you I gave a resignation it. before you even finished, uh, before you even had anything. Yeah, before that. I finished the year, I was like, screw this, man. A, I'm not going to get abused in a job that, in a place I'm not going to live at, in a job I hate with a guy who's an asshole. Yeah. Hey, fuck that. Life is too, life's, life's too short for this. Because you know what? This is why I was telling you, the Leo guy was telling you it's Novus. Yeah. I'm not even joking with you. I'm not the only one who said this. I would take a bullet for that guy. Yeah, good Because guy. he would go to the end of the, look, privately, if you screwed up, he would chew you out. But yeah. publicly, he would take your side. He would never screw you over. He would never talk behind your back. So people were willing to take a bullet for Leo. That's awesome. That's right? Awesome. So good leader. Yeah. Yeah, no, she's a good leader, right? So anyways, what happens is I moved to, no offense if anybody's from upstate New York, the armpit of the United States. <laughs> Syracuse, New York. Right? Isn't, that, my, isn't that New Jersey? Don't people call no, New Jersey? No, dude, 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 dude. I've been to New Jersey, okay? You have not been to upstate New York. Okay, that's all yeah. I'm gonna tell you. Okay. No okay. offense to people who are listening from upstate. Hey, I went to I went to Williams College, which is pretty close to there. And I, how yeah. how close is it? I, I drove to Albany a few times. <laughs> God, that's just freaking depressing because I was in Syracuse. <laughs> Holy moly, what a that was a town that I felt was just living on its glory days. That's it. And the glory days happened 40 years ago. Right. Fair. And they just so never why, why there? Why go why did oh, no, because my wife was doing wife a residency there. Okay. She okay. was so right you had, about you had nothing lined up. What were you doing on the side? So you tra you travel there, you quit, you say, I'm well, I quit. I was like, screw it, I'm quit. Life's too short to do this. And I'm newly married. So first of all, I'm gonna go hang out with the, like the five hours in the day my wife has because she's working a really, you know, this residency is slave yeah, labor yeah. essentially. But at least you know, this way, at least because we didn't go on a honeymoon because both of our jobs were so so at least you know, this way we'll we'll have some bonding at the start of our marriage and all of yeah, that yeah. sort of stuff, right? So because we didn't go on our honeymoon, you can whatever. cook for her, all that good stuff. Oh, dude, I love cooking, right? Yeah. I also love eating, but I love cooking, and she sucks at cooking, so that was a great match, <laughs> right? So so basically I moved to Syracuse. So I go there obviously very quickly because I'm ADD. I, I got bored out of my mind because there's only so many books you can read in isolation before yeah. you want some person to talk to, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I go there. I did the exact same thing that I did when I moved to Calgary. I first of all I picked I wanted to move to Texas because 
I can't afford California. I love California. I can't afford it. And Florida was too weird for me. So Texas it is because I was not going to move to the America, uh, the Canada of America. I was not going to move anywhere north. I had to go somewhere warm, nice. And that's it. That was okay. Like was your wife on board with that? Going to oh, yeah. Are Dallas you kidding me? Or... Of course. Who, who the hell else would not? Who else would not be on board with nicer weathers after you've survived upstate New York? Yeah. Okay. Fair. So you're you're saying, okay, we're going to go to, was it just Texas in general? or you Texas, because I narrowed it down. And I think the other deal was, this is really stupid. I'd grown up watching a lot of those Westerners with cowboys and stuff. And obviously not everybody in texas is gonna have a gun strapped to their whatever thigh but i just like the whole attitude of like the marlboro man and you know i don't even smoke but the marlboro man and rugged individual i know it's kind of weird. i know okay and so so anyways so you're you're start looking for for roles i seem no so I, no, you, only I had a year. you only had a year up in syracuse right because your wife was finishing no i had about six months in syracuse because she was okay. in her third year right, in her third year. Okay. right? Yeah, yeah. so what i did is i made a list of all the recruiters and all the recruiters predominantly because you've got to realize i'm new to the u.s i don't have u.s experience and i'm not in the market and I'm, some random guys calling you from syracuse looking for a job you'd be like yeah whatever buddy when you show up we're talking about it. right mm-hmm. so for the first two months, whatever, I started smiling and diving, cold calling, right? Hey, man, I'm here. I'm following up with the people, following up with people. But all I wanted was one opening to get whatever job. I don't care. I'll just move and I'll, and I don't say I didn't even care between Houston and Dallas. I was like, because I hadn't been to both places. I, I really didn't care. Yeah. Right. Whatever. It's the same. Did right? you look at Austin at all? No, you know what? That's weird. I didn't look at Austin. That might have been a stupid part of my part. It's all good. So you're, so you're looking, so you're looking at any jobs you're talking to people who yeah. have job openings no, but any job at least like 80 to 100 grand yeah 80 to 100 grand like yeah, in some sort of related to business in, or, no no hold on in related to business where i had to have some level of like a generalized business overview mm-hmm. right so not like a hyper just product management no screw that i wasn't going to do that right and also a job which was in a big enough company because after having worked in corporate canada i realized Big companies means big bureaucracy, which means nothing ever gets done. I'm probably going to work one hour a day while I go look for an entrepreneurial thing to do. Right? So <laughs> you, you knew kind of what you're looking for was kind of a, a place where you could you could use your brain, get by, do get the work done quickly, but also continue to do your look for your own. Look business. on the side, because again, I think yeah. a change of environment is very easy. Uh, it makes you, at least me, think about stuff. And I'm thinking, okay, look, I'm in the U.S. This is the, the land of capitalism. And my whole entire life, I've had this at the back of my head that I want to do some level of entrepreneurial thing. Mm-hmm. I'm also 30, 31. So I don't want to be like 45 and trying to do this thing. Yeah. Because then you just have a lot of things in your life, right? You got kids, you got mortgages, college funds, all of that. Yeah, yeah. So we're at a stage in life, we're early in our marriage. Mm-hmm. So God forbid, I crash and burn, right? Yeah. Well, look, I would have crashed and burned. I would have learned my lesson. And then I'd shut up and just go do my job, put my head down and be middle-class for the rest of my life. And then not complain about it. Right. I won't be 60 and be bitter about these things. Right. So that's the reason why I took an FPA role in healthcare. Great experience. uh, But didn't really have to do a lot of work. And apparently my modeling skills, I think were in the top, like 1% of people there. So I, and everybody uses the freaking mouse, which God freaking drives me up the wall, right? <laughs> so I was, I was like, all right, all right, all right, I'm done. You're telling these people didn't yeah. come from investment banking, they didn't know how to use the keyboard? They're or? using, and I was like, the first day I go in and my boss is using the mouse and he's doing pay special formatting. And I was like, okay, look, I know I'm new here. Probably going to get fired. Can I just do this for you, please? I'm, I'm, I'm literally going to scratch my nails off. <laughs> please, can I just do this? And then he just gave me that work and he was really happy because he doesn't have to do anything. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I just, it's just, it's just, I'm just going to say something that I shouldn't say. Please just give me this. Just work. give it to me. Yeah. I'll do it for you in five minutes. But again, I went, I interviewed in Houston, interviewed in Dallas. Uh, Dallas just happened to me at least. It looked visually nicer, which is not saying for a lot. Yeah. Right. And it seemed like a nice, clean city. The people were, all the people I met at least were very friendly in Houston and Dallas. So I, yeah. we just moved to Dallas. Right. Okay. So now I'm there. Now I do this job for the first six, eight months. And my wife also moves down after a couple of months because mm-hmm. she's finished her residency. She moves down. We kind of get quote unquote settled. Mm-hmm. And now I've got to look at uh, whatever thing I got to do on the side to really start doing something. Luckily for me at the time, the same buddy of mine from Toronto who was running all these iPhones and things like that, his family is actually very well to do. So they were having. And, you know, the fathers and their uncles, they're all wanting to, they were much better. <laughs> they were wanting to pass the, the assets to the next generation in a tax efficient manner. 
Mm-hmm. So, but they, they were young enough. They were like 60. So they're like, okay, now our kids are like 25, 30. We should start yeah. thinking about the future. And what had happened is his dad does a lot of business. And one of the businesses his dad did was costume jewelry, which apparently is a really big business. I didn't even know about it. Okay. So he had come to Houston on some trade conference in like the mid nineties and Houston was in a massive slump. So he met a couple of guys that he used to do business with and they were from Houston. So, and they're like, hey, you should think about investing here. Pro- property prices are really down. And if you know Asian and brown people, we love real estate, right? Golden real estate, okay. love it, right? Just can't get enough of it, right? So he goes and over the next, whatever, 10, 15 years, he acquired something like 45, 50, $80 million worth of retail and office space and whatever. And to be honest with you, not, he probably hasn't even owned Excel in his whole life. Let me just he hasn't what? He hasn't what? He has not opened Excel in his entire opened life. Excel. Yeah, there yeah. is no models being built. There yeah. is no, you understand, he's a really sharp, smart guy, so he can smell an opportunity. Yeah. But you got to realize this isn't like private equity firm. They're just yeah, a bunch yeah. of rich guys, right? Yeah. Who have some other businesses, they invested so in the right What time. type of so commercial real estate, residential, what? No, it's primarily retail, strip centers, all that sort of stuff, and some yeah. offices, but these are like suburban offices. They're like one story big offices. These right. aren't like high rises, right? I mean, they just accumulated. And I think what had happened is they got in at the right time. They didn't take any of their money out. When they'd refinance, they would just keep buying more and more and more and more and more, right? And then I guess if you're rich enough and you keep buying more and more, you become pretty freaking rich pretty quickly, right? So what now they had to do was basically kind of sell a portion and do whatever, give some money to the girls who were his sisters Mm -hmm. and him. He wanted to keep some of the property. So I kind of helped him. And I go in and he's, he gave me a call. He's like, look, I'm going to Houston. Why don't you join me? We're good friends. So I kind of went with him, kind of helped them through some of that process, right? Because I was, a, he did, he's entre- more entrepreneurial and smarter than me in terms of sniffing out an opportunity. But he's not but in Excel. He's not looking but at But he's summer. not, the, yeah. So when you talk to banks and community bankers, they need you to see some projections. And he's like, bro, yeah. I got like 25 million cash in the bank. What projections do you want? Yeah, right? Yeah. But they still have to show it and all of that stuff, right? So I kind of helped them through it. In the process of doing it, my family's involved in commercial real estate, right? So I already knew the tax benefits and the depreciation benefits and all yeah, of that yeah. stuff, yep. right? I knew about it, right? But it's one thing to know about something and there's one thing to see it, like see it happening in front of your eyes, okay? right? Where yep. somebody is worth like whatever, $80 million and they, or 90 million and they haven't paid a dime in taxes for the past 25 years. Yeah. You know, one thing to know, one thing to see, right? Right. And I'm like, holy shit, are you kidding me? This is like, the, no wonder America is the greatest country in the world. Man, I really was like, man, America is the greatest country in the world. So I was like, okay, what do I got to do now? So I go back, I started talking, I started going on some online forums, bigger pockets and all. Don't go there. It's really for people who have no financial knowledge. <laughs> and I started just quote unquote networking around. Now, Dallas, by the way, is really big in this. I, I'm very lucky in that regard. Uh, if you go any most other places, big into real uh, estate, right? Like, yeah, like, Dallas is not just real estate. Dallas is also people meeting in meetup clubs to do real estate deals together, and it's just understood. Hey, that's just the way you do things. So yeah. you can have two doctors who can't even add two numbers together, but now they're partnering up with somebody, and it's very accepted. It, it's not weird. Like when I try to explain it to my friends in Toronto, New York, they're like, "Dude, you don't even know the guy. Why the hell would that guy give you five hundred grand?" Yeah, like, well, because you know, I met him for coffee, like. Why else would he not give me 500 grand, right? Yeah. So Dallas was just being in the right place at the right time. Residential happened to be something that I could easily sell. Because look, if I have to go explain an office building and how leases turn off, yeah, first yeah. of all, I have to go freaking learn that shit myself, which yeah, yeah. will take a little while. Then I have to go explain it to people, right? And if you ever want, if you ever get into a situation where you're explaining everything from scratch, you're not going to win that competition ever. Yep. Yeah. At least I wasn't. So, so you went to residential first. You started. So this is your family. No, no, no. So this is all. This is your own business now. This is like yeah, yeah, yeah. This is my business, hustle. but initially I partnered with some people, right? And I wasn't gonna do houses because everybody boasts about getting two hundred dollars cash, and I was like, man, I can't even go out for a nice steak dinner with my wife. What the hell am I gonna do with two hundred bucks, right? Yeah. So I knew commercial was a way because I never wanted to buy houses. There's not enough money in the world for me to go buy one house at a time. So yeah. I immediately was looking at 120, 150. Uh, unit type properties, multifamily. They're not the nicest one. They're probably working class because that's potentially what I could afford. Yeah. Uh, and I couldn't, I could conceive at least of raising money for them. Yeah. And the other weird thing, so like, which uh, I know, yeah, buildings that are a million, a couple million. No, buildings at least like 10, 15 million dollars. 10, 15, take, okay. Minimum, right? Yeah. So, but the other thing which I found out very quickly when I was talking to people, it's really weird that a lot of people tend to think I live in an apartment. They equate that with, I know everything about apartments. 
So, but, but so in their mind, it's, it's familiarity, right? It's familiarity with the thing. So selling them on the concept isn't very hard. Whereas if I had say a much better opportunity in offices or retail or mixed use or industrial, yeah, I don't think anybody would have given me a dime, at least not me. They would have not, not given me a dime. I mean, you also have to understand, I was also raising money 50 to 100 grand at the time. Yeah, right? I'm not right. raising $5 million at the time, right? Yeah. So I partnered up with a couple of guys who were already doing their own projects. I raised a few hundred thousand for each of their deals just to kind of get started, have yeah. that kind of cachet built up. And very quickly realized, now they've done spectacularly well, but very quickly realized that, okay, these guys aren't really that financially sophisticated. In fact, they're not financially sophisticated, but what they've got really going for them is, dude, these guys are amazing marketers. They, yeah. they really know how to market. And that was a skill I didn't know. But they had and the connections, they had enough connections to enough money. Not even connections. It was just sheer marketing over social media, which you have a big enough bullhorn. You'd be surprised at how many idiots are willing to give you money, man. Yeah, but even, but aren't, aren't those people willing to give money or like, Smaller, like twenty thousand, ten thousand. No, well, the dude, I'm raising money. Like these guys were raising money, fifty to hundred grand at a time, and they were wow. not raising it from sophisticated pools of people. Yeah, tell you what. Yeah, and by the way, they're not the only people. Yeah, right. There's like a billion oh, of the, us. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're you're kind of thinking, well, they they got the marketing, but they don't have the financial savvy. I can get better deals, potentially better returns. Potentially, whatever. but the other deal also was that I eventually had to do my own thing, right? So yeah, that was a good. I'm very grateful to them. So I now basically started doing my own deal. Now, I think this is what held me back. And a part of it also held me back is because I'm coming from a somewhat of a, a business valuation point of view. Mm-hmm. I always tend to look at, hey, downside, what happens there? Like the Armageddon happens and this happens. And man, all these guys were like, all right, this looks good. Bam, here's yeah. like snake eyes. Let's buy it. Bam, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so they've done a lot better than I have. Yeah. Infinitely better than I have. Just because right. they're they don't really they're not really looking at this downside case, but but in a down in a two thousand eight two thousand nine financial crisis that might Look, be a good. All I'm telling you this is, it still holds me back, mm-hmm. right? I'm still gun shy because not just two thousand eight two thousand nine. I didn't I didn't have any money to lose in two thousand eight two thousand nine. That's why I didn't lose any. Right. But my family's also gone through the ups and downs yeah. of the cycle, so I've kind of seen that. Maybe that's what puts me. Makes me scared a little bit. How many deals have you done in the four years? I've done about six deals. Uh, I think about 120 million, give or take. Yeah. Right. So. And so, how much? How much of that do you? So, other four deals, you've you've purchased 120 million. That's you must have done a couple. Five, five, six deals. Five, six, six. Now, the seventh is going to close on January 20th. So, I mean, there's got to be a couple big deals in there. Yeah. Been on 20. So, like, how did you raise the money for those? You found a couple. Oh, dude, dude, I I, I, I networked around. I begged, borrowed, did whatever I had to do. I also have partners. You have to understand, I'm not a one man show. Just to be very clear, right? No man is alive. How many partners? Well, that depends because we all have our own company. So, depending on the project, we can just come together as uh, got general. It. Got it. So, if there's right? a big enough, a big enough yeah. deal to be had, you you have enough. We'll figure it out, right? But you also want to work with a core cool group of people. I always like to work with a core cool group of people because I don't want to be holding hands all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. Answering dumb questions, uh, which might also, by the way, hold me back because people put everybody and their dog together, and then they have a lot of patience that I don't, right? So, but the good thing about it is learning the marketing angle of things, right? Because learning the financial valuation was not at all hard, right? The marketing angle of things, which I'm still learning. And the other deal also is that now it's exposed me because look, you got to realize if somebody's giving me 150 grand a year, right? On average, they're probably making 500 grand, mm-hmm. 600 grand. So these are high achievers in their own field, whatever, doctors, lawyers, private equity guys, right? Yeah. So what's now happening is as a result of doing a few deals, I have investors who are Anyways, in very interesting verticals. So as an example, I am now in the next, I'm actually in the process of hiring, signing a partnership agreement with a very experienced operator, like the QSR, a fast food operator, mm-hmm. because one of my really big investors, he, I don't know what, I think he just liked me as young, whatever he liked me. He was a very senior executive, private equity executive in these QSR space, fast food franchise space mm-hmm. in the Southeast. He, he's done fantastic for himself. Yeah. And he's like, well, you should look into our business. I think a guy like you, you need to get in early in this business. You're young, you need to get in early. I was like, are you sure? Whatever. Like, no. He's like, no, no, you need to look into this business. And he kind of held my hand, right? And I'm very blessed for that. So I looked into that business, dude. The cash margins are insane, mm-hmm. number one. And number two, what happens is because the ability to scale out is pretty easy. Now, the problem becomes you either have mom and pops who are putting money out of their own pocket, or you've got like private equity groups that are like 50 million at a time. 
And there's not a lot of people in between yeah. because the problem is the mom and pops, they're so busy running their own business that they never have focused on raising equity. Right. The 40, $50 million guy, well, he's not going to talk to some guy and take like a hundred grand. He needs like a $2 million check. At least. Yeah. So something like that. Right. So for me, I have the ability to go raise money. So now when I go talk to an operator, I can say, look, dude, we'll raise the $3 million. No problem. You focus on doing your job. Mm-hmm. And they're like, done. I'm sold. I do not. I never wanted to deal with admin. I just wanted to do operations. So now I'm signing a deal with this pretty senior executive and we're going to launch it in this year. Because what the point I'm trying to make well, is- What are you what, doing? QSR? What do you, what do you mean? What, do you, what kind of deal is it? So this is basically, we're going to develop our own fast food. No, we're a franchisee. We're going to be a franchise. The French, I can tell you the name. It's Wingstop, right? Yeah. We hope to sign a deal with them. Yeah. And basically, because they have such a good business model, mm-hmm. right? We can then develop it out in the Atlanta and the Southeast region because they're underpenetrated. Yeah. So I have a very good operating team now. That It's taken me a year to develop the operating team, right? Yeah, and yeah. get everybody on board and sign and all that stuff. Because yeah. these are people who are making like 300 grand a year. Yeah. Right, they're not just yeah. gonna leave, right? So, uh, you know, give them find the right balance of equity and compensation and all of that sort of stuff. Not easy, but yeah. the thing is that once you do one thing and you get used to, like, say, raising money for one vertical, people trust you enough because you have a good reputation that you can move to a new vertical mm-hmm. and you're not starting from scratch, right? Right? So, that that was always in mind. So to it do was it. real estate, now you're kind of doing like a franchisee. You know, yeah, but there's eventually going to be a real estate component to this because eventually we can buy the underlying retail uh, real estate. Yeah, and there's a lot of things you can do to make the numbers look even better. Yeah, that makes sense. So that kind of gives you the long ass winded story about me not looking to do stuff or trying to find my way. It's really interesting. I think uh, there's a lot of lessons to be learned. I think one of the most interesting things that you did throughout your path that I think I want to make sure that the listeners think about. <clears throat> and we see this pattern kind of throughout a lot of the guests is your focus on just talking to people as many people as possible when you get to a new, new place and like, just almost like a, a maniac getting into a new place and just speaking with like, like you said, no, but I also enjoy it. It's not like a chore for me. Right. I don't think you enjoy like, it, but then it opens up doors for you. Yeah. It yeah. always opens. It's always opens up doors. for you. And, and so the people who are still skeptical of networking, you know, I challenge them to listen to the 150 episodes that we've done 150 plus this is 151. To listen, and what's the patterns that you're seeing in almost every single guest? The pattern is networking. The pattern is talking to people. The pattern is curiosity, being passionate, and trying to find what you love. And I think uh, Omar here is a great example of just somebody who's um, hustler on the side. He's he's trying to figure things out, but he loves talking to people, and it puts him at a huge advantage to, to being successful um, long run. So. Omar, thanks so much for sharing your story. Tell me more about uh, any any other final words of wisdom before we call it. I think it was an interesting. I wouldn't say wisdom, man. I mean, I'm still learning, finding my way around. Any final words, then we'll call it. Any final words? Look, I don't know. I think you should just have the ability to go talk with people at various social income levels, with different education levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had that exposure growing up, right? So talk with somebody who's a portfolio manager managing $5 million, somebody who's a janitor, right? You need to have that, but you also have to have a, reasonable level of curiosity in the world around you because if you don't uh, look you can do a job I, I just didn't i just didn't want to be 45 or 50 and then just be kind of ambling through life and just kind of semi-annoyed all the time right i just didn't want that and maybe and maybe look by the way maybe this means that i might have missed out on a lot of economic like money-wise things that if i had studied harder networked harder earlier on maybe i get up maybe i get a I don't know, a really nice investment banking job and make like $400,000 or whatever. Yeah. But I don't think I would have the same level of internal pleasure in life. Life pleasure, life. Like, hey, do Did I... you feel like you've missed out on something? So like income wise, yeah. what, yeah, 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 yeah. what do you think yeah. you've grossed? Like, as, like what was your salary or what have you taken, taken home? I can tell you this, that I invest all of my money back into my business, but I can tell you this, my income is probably around the same that when I was in equity research, income wise. But my net worth is like easily about five million. Yeah. So like you're, which you're is not a lot if you think you're not about taking it, a lot of, you're not you're not taking a lot of cash out. No, no, um, dude. Everything is reinvested. You're dude, basically taking like you don't spend any money. <laughs> you're basically saving like, or you're you're probably spending like fifty thousand a year or something like that. Or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Every single penny is invested. My wife, I have. Do, had do you go in a home now? I, dude, I own like we had to. I forcefully we had to buy a home, but the house is worth like one hundred eighty thousand dollars. 
come on, that's like a pretty cheap house in the country. You can't get cheaper than that. I was going to live in an outhouse. What about family? What's next for you? Are you going to have No, I have two sons. So okay. one is three years old. One is nine months old. Oh, wow. Right? Okay. So I also wanted to have the time to spend with my uh, kids because um, I know this for a fact that my parents attended all my major life events. Mm-hmm. And I had lots of kids in my class mm-hmm. whose fathers or mothers couldn't attend their life events. Yeah. And I didn't want to do it. Fair. Yeah, I think that's one yeah. of the things I love about what running Wall Street is. is like I can take the middle of the day and go have lunch with my kids. Yeah, oh, so a, that, that was another big thing. Yeah, yes. yeah. It's a lifestyle thing is what I'm trying to say. It is, it is. Yeah. Well, listen, Omar, thanks so much for sharing oh. your story. And uh, it, was, it was a fascinating and a different one. I loved it. <laughs> All right, no, thank you for having me. I'm happy to assist and help in any way. So if you need anything, please let me know. Thanks, man. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.